Hello, and welcome to Madison Church Online with Exchange. My name is Stephen, and I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church, and we are thrilled that you're joining us, whether it's your first time with us or your 100th time with us. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've spent all week working on a message and adding little bits of humor here and there and, and working out my jokes and rehearsing the punchlines only to get up on a stage on Sunday, tell that joke to our church, and have it be met by blank stares and people not thinking it's funny. Um, you know, that's really awkward for you, and it is terribly embarrassing for me. I can't tell you how many times that that has happened, and it's even worse when I'm telling these bad jokes to just a camera in an empty sanctuary on a Thursday night for our Sunday audience, or whenever you're watching or listening to this, it is so difficult. It kind of feels like this. Everyone say LOL and ha ha ha. Give me a little bit of encouragement. Um, unfortunately, church is not the only place people don't laugh at my jokes. It happens all the time. It seems like once a week, I will come up with something that literally makes me laugh out loud. I just think it's hilarious. And then I'll go and tell the person, whoever is closest to me, what I think is so funny. It's usually my wife, Megan, and she just won't laugh. And I used to think it's because she didn't get it. And so I'd explain it like, oh no, this is why that's funny. And she would tell me, Steven, I got it the first time. It's just not funny. Today, I'm ending a series that we've been in the last few weeks called Recalibrate, and it's been a study about how worship recalibrates us back to God. We need regular calibration because as people, we lose perspective. We forget truths that we know. We know these truths, and yet we forget them, and we end up wandering away from God. We need something to recalibrate us in the right direction. And what recalibrates us in the right direction in the Christian faith is worship. Throughout the series, we've been talking about how worship is so much bigger than what goes on at a church service on a Sunday. It's every part of our lives. A couple of weeks ago, Sarah talked about how remembering can be an act of worship and how when we worship, we remember who God is and we remember who we are. And then last week, Kathy talked about receiving. Every time we go to worship, we have a posture where we can be open to receive what God has for us or closed off. And our hope for you is that when you come to worship, it's in a receiving posture. And yet worship is incomplete. It's deficient without a response. As we remember and as we receive during worship, how will we respond? And what does it mean to respond to God in worship? Those are kind of the questions that I want to try to answer with you tonight. Let's briefly go back to week one. If you guys were with us, you'll remember that I taught and I gave a definition of worship. I want to revisit that briefly today as we talk about worship again. I said that worship is giving your whole self to God. Worship is giving your whole self to God. And I ended that message with a Bible verse in Romans when Paul writes a church to the church in Rome about what he thinks worship is. And he says in Romans 12, uh, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well, forms maturity in you. I love how Eugene Peterson, who writes this paraphrase, the message, captures the essence of what I believe Paul wants his readers, both ancient 2,000 years ago and modern to understand. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Take everything. We must give everything back to God, even the most mundane, boring things of our lives. We must give back our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, and everything else that we do in life. Yes, you're hearing me right. Some of you might be wondering, is he saying that me going to bed early tonight, maybe sleeping in a little bit tomorrow is something I can do that's spiritual? It might be the most spiritual thing you do this entire week is to get a good night's rest. Everything is an act of worship. And whether we realize it or not, we are constantly worshiping someone or something if we're not worshiping God. Everybody, every person worships. It's actually how you and I were created. We were created to be in relationship with God and to worship God. But because that relationship has been broken and severed and cracked, we constantly find ourselves worshiping someone or something else. As we go through life, we get distracted by whatever feels most urgent today. We're never ever proactive with our lives because we're always reacting to whatever happens in our lives. We lose our perspective on what's important, our goals and the things that we want to accomplish in our lives, our lives and dreams and all of those things. Sometimes we can forget what we're doing and just go through life when we wander away from the God that we're worshiping. One of my favorite pastors and writers is Tim Keller, and he wrote about the subject of worship and idolatry in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says an idol is something that we look to for things only God can give. An idol is something that we look to to give us things that only God can give. Well, what does this mean for us? It means that at times we worship people. We absolutely worship other people. That could be a child, It could be a parent and it could be a partner. We give ourselves completely. Remember the definition of worship. We give ourselves completely over to someone, something, or God. It could be a cause that we're passionate about. Something that God originally put in our heart and made us passionate about can eventually take his place in the center of our hearts because we end up worshiping it instead of him. Maybe we live our lives for one experience after the other. I know a few people who seem to just live for the next vacation, the next trip, the next weekend getaway. It's constant consumption of an experience. It could be that we're giving ourselves and worshiping an achievement. This one gets me. I don't want you to think I'm picking on other people. This one, the achievement one, gets me. I still have my Little League trophies on my bookshelves. Of course, only the ones that are first place and in gold, the bronze and silver ones, the third and second place trophies are either in a drawer or in a coffee cup. We don't display those. 
But for us who worship achievement at times, it's a promotion at work. It's a raise in salary and it's some other recognition that takes our focus off of God. Or maybe it's a status. It is quite possible today that you worship the approval, the love, and the respect of other people. It could be that you worship getting a newer car, a bigger house. You just got to have this and you just got to have that and you'll eventually be happy or eventually you'll get that status that you're looking for. And perhaps it's It's just pride and wanting to be better than your family that you grew up with, your friends that you have now, or those people in high school who said you'd never amount to anything. Maybe it's pride. But remember how Keller talks about idolatry. It's when we give ourselves to someone or something in hopes that they can give us what only God can give us, and they cannot. Your spouse can never fill in the gap of God in your life. Only God can do that. The experiences aren't going to give you salvation. It's not going to change lives. Only God can do that. And it's not to say any of those things are wrong because they're absolutely not. I'll come back to that. But it is to say that idolatry, worshiping someone or something else, is the quickest way to ruin the good things that God has given you and wants us to enjoy. Let me say that again, because it is so important that we understand it, that idolatry, the worship of something else or someone else is the quickest way to ruin the good things that God wants you to enjoy in your life. Well, how do we avoid idolatry then? Because it sounds terrible. Well, the answer is by worshiping God. And when a person makes a decision to follow Jesus, then I wouldn't assume that all of you watching or listening have made that decision. But for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus, we are to give our whole selves to God day in and day out, every moment of every day. God becomes the focus of our devotion. And I know that when we're talking about worship, we can begin to think of abstract ideas or super spiritual people or weird church services. But I want to assure you that responding to God in worship is very, very practical. Anyone can respond to God in worship. And there are three ways that you're going to be able to respond to God in worship right now before this service is over. And the first way that you can respond to God in worship is through praise. Through praise, we verbally proclaim praise to God for who he is. In Psalm 150, the psalmist declares quite repetitively, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven, praise him for his mighty works, praise his unequaled greatness, praise him with a blast of a ram's horn, praise him with the lyre and the harp, Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, as I mentioned, it is a little bit repetitive, but this is one of the ways that we can respond to God in worship is by singing his praises. And so when it's Jeff on guitar and Rebecca playing keyboard and Dan or Megan singing, they are not just worshiping individually, but collectively. And when we join them in singing, we are not just worshiping individually, but collectively. And we are singing praises to God. This is a big reason why we open 
and close our services when we're able to meet in person with music. We want to give people a time to pray, to praise, to reflect on God's goodness, because this is a practical way. Praising God is a practical way that we can worship. So when I finish this message, don't log off real quick. Don't shut the computer screen and move on to the next thing that you have on your to-do list, but join us for one song. That's all we play at the end of the service is one song and join us in that to sing praises to God, respond in worship by singing praises. And since you are at home, feel free to sing as loud as you want. Nobody will know that you're off key. A second practical way that we can respond to God through worship is through the practice of generosity. We respond by giving, we respond in worship by giving back to God a portion of what he has blessed us with. Paul writes to the Corinthians, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Well, we talk about giving back at Madison Church all the time. We say we celebrate generosity at Madison Church. And often we'll also say that God doesn't want something from you, but rather that God wants something for you. God doesn't need your money. He's not looking for an extra couple bucks this week. He's not coming up short. God owns everything, has everything. We're just stewarding it in the meantime. But what God does want to do is warn us. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, you can't have two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. And then he goes to name that God. In case you're curious, Jesus, what gods are you talking about? He says, you cannot worship God and money both. This whole series has been about worship and Jesus tells us, pick a lane. You can either worship me or you can worship money, but you can't worship both. And if you worship the money, you're going to start to feel contempt for me. Now, this is a particularly a difficult thing to do for Americans. If you're an American right now, what I'm talking about generosity and and as an act of worship is very difficult because in the U.S. we are plagued by the sin of greed. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world and, and how we need to respond to our culture's greed is by being generous. Generosity is the opposite of greed. And when we're generous with one of our most precious and limited resources, our money, when we're generous with our money, we are never more like our selfless savior who loved us so much He gave his life for us. He gave us what we can't give him. And this is why generosity is something we practice every single week at Madison Church in our time together, even online. We have a weekly weekly time to respond to God by giving back. Now, we can worship in generosity, and there are a few benchmarks that we highlight at Madison Church. The one, first one is that it's your first time giving. That is so exciting. I recognize that that's a hard step. If you've never given before, giving for the first time is a really hard step. So we're going to celebrate that when we see it come through. High fives and celebrations. When you go regular 
with your giving. You set up a recurring gift or something and you say, hey, every week I'm going to give this much or that much. We recognize that that is a committed step, that you are committed to worshiping God with your finances. We also recognize that when you tithe, that that's a sacrificial step. You're saying no to a lot of other good things so you can say yes to the best thing. And when you give well above and beyond the tithe, we recognize that that is a hard, committed, and sacrificial step. And we may not be meeting in person, but that doesn't mean you can't worship God with your finances because you can give online as well. A final suggestion for practically responding to God in worship is through gratitude. Let's go back to the book of Psalms when we read, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. While praise is a response of who God is and we praise God, the first point I brought up, gratitude is expressing thanks to God for what he has done in our lives and the world. There is so much for you and I to be grateful for like the people in our lives, like our achievements, like the experiences we've gotten to enjoy. There's so much to be grateful for. We don't worship it, but instead we tell God, thank you for it. By thanking God for these things, it is a constant reminder that these are things and people and they're important and they're good and God has given it to us, but God remains the center and they're less likely likely to become idols in our lives One of the ways that we express gratitude every week at Madison Church when we're meeting in person is through communion. Communion is a chance every week where we press the pause button on our hectic lives to reflect and remember on the greatest moment in human history. That is the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Jesus' sacrifice brought us peace with God and brought us back into God's family. And so let's regularly take communion together. You can do that at home while we're online with crackers and juice or donuts and coffee. The important thing isn't what you're using, but it's the heart in which you partake of these things. So we can praise God. That's one way to respond. We can tell God, thank you. And we can practice generosity, all ways to respond to God in worship. A final word. It is so incredibly important that you and I realize as we end this series that these aren't just the only ways that we can respond to God in worship. There are lots more that we just didn't talk about today that we're not going to have a chance to talk about. Worship should be everything we do, and it should be everything within us. Sometimes it's easy to think that worship just happens at church. It's easy to convince ourselves that worship is just one hour a week on a Sunday. It actually might make us feel less guilty or less convicted so we can live however we want the other six days of the week. And well, worship is only on Sunday, so that's the only time I really have to put in effort. But let's go back to Paul. And in a letter that he writes to the Colossians, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. But Paul doesn't just stop there. If you're reading this, you're like, oh, okay. So it seems like worship really is something that happens inside of here. And so I should be really focused on on what's going on. What Let's just read the next verse. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Responding to God in worship is a whole life kind of thing inside 
and outside with everything we have and in everything we do. We are called to give our whole selves to God and God alone. So as I close today, I want us to do some posture prayers together, the kind that Kathy talked about last week. The first posture prayer that I want to do tonight is one of surrender. And so hold your hands up like this as we say, God, I surrender everything to you. And let's pray. I choose to hold up my hands as a symbol of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your Lordship. I surrender my preferences, prejudices, and position to you. I surrender my fears, finances, friends, and family to you. The second posture is generosity. We believe that we're to live a generous life because God is generous with us. Would you put out both your hands, palms up like this, and let's pray. I choose to hold out my hands as symbols of generosity. What I have is not mine. I'm only a steward of all that you have given me. I want to mirror the way that you have opened your hand to us and lavished us with your love and life. In a close fist culture, I want to live an open-handed life. And the last posture is one of mission. We believe that God has called each and every person to live on mission with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has called you to live on mission with him, to help connect more people with God and each other, to make heaven a little bit more crowded, to make Madison look a little bit more like the kingdom of God and that God's will would be done. So let's put our hands together and let's pray. I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace and welcome your mission to the lost, the last, the least, and the lonely, the poor, and the powerless, and the privileged, and the persecuted. Amen.